0: Section 15. The Roosevelt-Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Roosevelt-Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission by Candido Mariano da Silva-Rondon. Translation by Richard George Reedy and Edwin Douglas Murray. Third Lecture Part Two. I commenced this work on the sixth of November, nineteen eleven, leaving vilhenna towards the northeast and travelling along an Indian track which directs itself from Commemorasayo de Floriano to the valley of the river Marquez de Souza passing between the headwaters of the former Duvida and Ike. In that valley I reached a small natural prairie of Sarado, which I named Mangabal, already discovered in 1909 by Lt. Lira, and where there existed in that year a large village and many plantations belonging to the Nambiquaras, of the group which we afterwards learned to be the Mama Indei. I, however, found nothing else the Indians had abandoned the place and set fire to the village. On exploring the region, I discovered on the northeastern side through which a tributary of the left bank of the former Ananas runs, and which I denominated Ribeirao Lira, just as I had previously named two others respectively, Amarante and Tanajura, a beautiful prairie, just what I was looking for from mangabal i directed my course to campo maria de molina according to the magnetic course of fifty degrees northwest taken from the plan of the road which i had just traversed combined with that of the survey of nineteen oh nine i crossed successively a region of entangled overgrowth a river the maranda Ribiero, two small campos indigenas of capim gordura Two headwaters, of which the last was the one called Lira. I then entered the region in which the waters run into the present River Roosevelt, encountering first a stream, the Piranías, and afterwards, on the date of the decree which instituted our Republican ensign, the river called Festa da Bandiera, Flag Day, also called Coromucharu by the Nambiquaras. After crossing the river Piranillas, I found a beautiful campo indigena called the Pardiz, whence we could see to the north and to the northeast many others which succeeded one another without end out of sight. It was evident that this was the direction through which it was convenient for us to take our line, even at the cost of a big detour, which would extend same seven kilometers beyond what we had reckoned upon this sacrifice however would be more than compensated by the incomparable advantage of having secured the maintenance of our mule and ox-packs as also our cattle i proceeded on the march to campo de maria de molina always on the initial course of fifty degrees northwest proceeding with the survey with the help of a metric chain and a salmuaragi pocket-compass i arrived at those camps after having gone over three six point two eight zero meters counted from the stake at mangabal or scarcely eighteen from festa da bandiera in this last stretch the country presented itself to us covered now with entangled overgrowth now with certain special vegetation intermediary between the former and virgin forests the Indians called it alori, and we knew it under the name of lorey because in the midst of same a certain tree is very abundant, the wood of which is very strong and lasting, and is so called by the Indians. The tangent to which I have just referred did not coincide with that of the 1909 survey. There was an angular deviation of one degree fifteen minutes or of one kilometre between the point of arrival in 1911 and the mark of that survey. The study of the modification of the old route was immediately followed by the work of location, the line leaving Vilhena on the general course of five degrees northeast, and prolonged itself to beyond the Ribeiro Lira until it reached the Great Tangent at Mangabal having gone over a small segment of this tangent which runs as we saw to the northwest the location abandoned same before arriving at the Ribiero Pernias, inclining itself anew to the north so as to pass through the campos indigenes on the right bank of the festa da bandiera in this new direction, the line crosses besides several headwaters of two important streams named by us Nicolau Bueno and Julio Queteño. and After this last one, it retakes the northwesterly course and crosses the river a little below the mouth of the Ribiero Alencarliense at a point which was indicated to us by the Nambiquaras as it satisfied the conditions which we for close upon a month had procured in vain viz that it was not swampy as other places after crossing the festa de bandiera the route advances parallel to the bed of the alenca in the southwest quadrant across the marginal woods but it soon abandons this route in order to take a westerly direction with which it penetrates into the basin of the old Duvida, cutting through the bush of the divisor of the valleys of the two rivers, and thus arrives at the Campo de Maria de Molina, where the Telegraph Line Commission had equipped a station called José Bonifacio, more than 83 kilometers from Villena. Before, however, terminating this work, whilst I was still studying the region in which we were locating the alternative route on the right bank of the Carumicharu, or Festa da Bandiera, in order to ascertain how far the campos indigenous extended, an accident occurred which will serve to give an idea of the habits of the Nambiquaras. Various partial explorations had convinced me that in the northwest quadrant those camps terminated in the river and in a stream, an affluent of same on the right bank which I discovered and called Joaquim Gomez i therefore decided to make further surveys in a northerly and northeasterly direction for this purpose on the thirteenth of april nineteen twelve my uncle miguel lucas evangelista an old man of seventy-six years of age whose robustness and endurance would surprise a man of forty years and his nephew bellarmino accompanied me and we took the indian trail which after crossing a jungle penetrated into one of those forests of lorraine to which i have above referred in the interior of the woods after four hours of slow marching for we were on horseback and the trail was a footpath we saw many signs of the recent passage of indians and suddenly heard the sharp and angry sounds of their jabber I therefore took the lead, in the place of my cousin, and soon after was able to discern at a distance of fifty meters five Nambiquaras, all young and strong fellows, completely disarmed. They were directing themselves slowly towards us, talking aloud and gesticulating frantically. I had not at the moment a single weapon with me, and recommended my companions to hide theirs, directing my animal towards the Indians. These, however, commenced to retire in spite of the fact that one of them, probably the chief, continued to speak to me in a long and enthusiastic discourse. The thought then struck me that our mounts were unknown and strange animals to them, and this caused them some suspicion. This was therefore the reason for their retirement. I dismounted and walked resolutely and full of confidence towards the group, for I had made myself sure that they were acting in good faith and were not laying a trap for us. In a few moments we all formed one friendly group in which all talked and no one understood one another. Finally, as the goodwill was general and sincere, I succeeded in making them understand that my desire was to accompany them to their village. This caused them visible satisfaction and calmed the loquacity of the orator, who only then finished the discourse which he had been declaiming in a very high-pitched and most energetic tone. I inferred from this fact that the meaning of the harangue was nothing more or less than to convince me that I should make this visit. And it only then occurred to me that, in international diplomacy, the tone of the communications is never in accordance with the sentiments and the intentions of the communicators. Among some people it is gentle and soft, exactly when the intention is malicious and aggressive. In others, as we have just seen, it is boisterous and unrestrained when it hides the thought of much good and sincere friendship. We mounted and got ourselves into marching order, the Nambiquaras going on foot. Here a great difficulty turned up, perhaps due to the customs of the Indians or to the old prejudice reigning amongst us, that all Indians must necessarily be on every occasion and circumstance of life false, disloyal, and treacherous. The case was that the five Nambiquaras wished to divide themselves into two groups, one to go ahead of the small column, the other behind us. My uncle, who had only decided to go to the village, moved by the conviction that he would have to defend my life, deduced from this distribution that his suspicions were being confirmed and peremptorily declared that he would not give up the advantage of occupying the rear guard whence he could watch the movements of our supposed enemies and in case of necessity assist us with his rifle in their turn the indians insisted in arranging the column as they had desired we in the centre three of them in front and two immediately in the rear Contending with the difficulties of this gesture language, I was forced to employ the greatest efforts and the most trying patience to convince them without offence that the two last ones should march in front of my uncle and behind my cousin and me. In this way we went ahead finally. The Indians in the vanguard, leading us by their trails, walked very quickly and soon got ahead of us, not only on account of the many Sipos, Lianas, branches and trunks of trees laying across our path above the height of a man causing us delay for we were mounted but also because the animals were now tired out by the march which had lasted from dawn up to past two o'clock in the afternoon at the spot where these scenes took place there was a small stream of water which was called el cantro feliz a little ahead of this place we saw leaning against the trees on the left side of the road the bows and arrows of our friends they however passed by them without taking them up and continued as they had come entirely disarmed truly and unmistakably characteristic of their gentility courage and tact Still more noteworthy is the fact that they had not asked us to give them identical proof of confidence and friendliness by deposing the arms which we were carrying. We were marching now for fifteen minutes, when one of them in the vanguard hastened his pace and in a very short time was out of sight. To my uncle this movement could not pass imperceived, and with his mode of seeing things cried out, Now we are in it! this indian had gone ahead in order to advise those who are in ambush waiting for us that we are close by we will surely all die but not like a lot of stupid sheep i am going to fight however the developments were not long in allaying our suspicions because a little ahead we found our host awaiting our arrival with a large quantity of naru kagwaninde a refreshing drink much used by the nambiquaras who prepare same with water and the juice of the wild pineapple, which is very abundant in their country and is cultivated to a great extent in the numerous clearings in the interior of the woods opened up by fire it was now four o'clock in the afternoon and we had got out of the forest of loray into a new jungle at dawn when we left our camp we had no intention of prolonging our reconnaissance so much For this reason we were without breakfast, and were very hungry. The resolution taken by our guides to get us to dismount was very opportune, and we accepted the large calabashes of that refreshment, cakes made out of manioc, which is cultivated in their plantations, toasted larvae of various insects, provisions which all the Nambiquaras take with them in large pots during their excursions. We accepted this food, and on finishing the repast, continued on our journey under a terrible fall of rain which had suddenly overtaken us. From the jungle we passed into another wood, not very extensive, covering a small headwater. There we found a few small open huts, which the Nambiquaras construct in their ikedas, or temporary villages, used for hunting purposes. Our guides thought that it would be agreeable to us to take shelter there from the rain, and as our clothes, dripping with water, were stuck to our bodies, they understood that beyond shelter we required the heat of a good fire. Consequently they took into the interior of one of the huts the small pieces of wood which they used to make fire, and rubbing one piece against the other they commenced this patient operation however it was not convenient for us to stay away from our camp too long i insisted therefore on the indians continuing the journey and to this they agreed soon afterwards we got out of the woods into some country where the vegetation was low and scant and from here into an open camp of alochitu the name of the grass which grows in the campos indigenous in the yellow background of which the outline of the big conical huts of the chisis or nambiquara villages could be discerned again one of the indians from the vanguard fell out and with a hurried step went towards the village and once again in the mind of my uncle full of false traditional notions amongst white people with regard to the character and sentiments of the indians the suspicion arose that we were going to be betrayed and killed withal our march continued we were still far off from the village when we saw a man coming out to meet us carrying a large basket on his shoulders dropping from a sling of fibre which was tied round his forehead like a wide sash on coming close up to us he stopped and commenced a long discourse which we heard with the greatest interest and respectful attention it was certainly not the first time that such diplomatic discourses had been heard however the reply to same was not given by us but by one of our guides who spoke almost as much as the other having terminated the discourses the indian relieved himself of his load placing the basket on the ground from inside same he took out a large pot full of naru Kaguininde, pineapple water and a small calabash we once more helped ourselves to the nambekwara beverage after this ceremony our hosts drew near to us and taking our hands in theirs led us into the village the indian who had come to meet us with all this ceremony was the cacique indian chief in him one could see the influence of african blood which had been already noted in many individuals of the groups dwelling in the valleys of the Joruena and of the juhina and in campos novos the hair slightly curled a moustache and a cavaignac it is a fact that the north american indians of pure blood possess a large quantity of very smooth straight black hair and very little beard which grows badly it appears to me therefore that the hypothesis formulated by me in nineteen o eight nineteen o nine is demonstrated and brought to light in the public lectures which i delivered in nineteen eleven in the monroe palace to explain the origin of the conical form of the great ranches pertaining to the Nambiquaras, viz that these indians have been in contact with the negroes who escaped from the old gold-diggings of the guapore and principally with those who founded a quilombo nigger settlement in the guaratizei an affluent of the right bank of that river in the village which was formed of one of those conical ranches entirely closed and of many others with a simple flat roof without walls we saw on our arrival some thirty individuals which we afterwards learnt belonged to two distinct groups they were all under shelter in their huts and sitting around their respective fires for it continued to rain. There, however, were only men. We did not see any women or children. We dismounted and took our place in the midst of a group by the side of a fire. New ceremonies of Nambiquara hospitality then commenced. First they favored us with food, manioc, cakes, roasted corn, toasted larvae, fish, monkey meat, potatoes, and carah the plates were like small trays made out of stems of taboca matted and the cups were calabashes which were incessantly being filled with the everlasting ananas water pineapple. in spite of these delicacies being served up full of the ash and cinders in which they were roasted things went very well and to the satisfaction of all but suddenly cigarettes appeared huge ones and perhaps the most extraordinary of all the cigarettes in the world, they were excessively long, rolled up in rough and coarse leaves, and made, of roasted tobacco dust, the product of Nambiquara agriculture and industry. Up to this point nothing could be said of them because it did not appear to me that they could be more or less repugnant than those of their civilized similarities and to me the absurdity of smoking them was not more or less than that of smoking any other cigarettes. However, a surprise was in store for me. In order to learn at my own expense that the Nambequara cigarette has a peculiarity of its own which renders it more detestable than its similary, it must not be refused. The other cigarettes wait until people procure or accept them. These are imposed upon you. The first aggression I suffered from my friend Nuchela, which was the name of the Kekik. Having prepared the formidable instrument of torture, he presented it to me in the most genteel and hospitable manner imaginable. I declined it politely. He insisted, and I commenced to realize that there is not in the whole world any sort of gesticulation capable of transmitting to a Nambiquara brain this new notion which is to them absolutely unsuspected and inadmissible, viz. that there are men who do not smoke. We did our best in this way during some time, he offering me the cigarette and I refusing it. In the end, my host believing perhaps that the only motive I had for refusing same was my bashfulness, took upon himself the heroic resolution of pushing the cigarette into my mouth. I had to inhale the nauseous smoke. The atmosphere around us now became compact and unbreathable. So many were the puffs which all these men took from so many cigarettes. The most horrible, however, was that they all wished to repeat to us the same operation made by the cacique. In order to avoid such martyrdom, I determined to take a walk through the village, visiting the other ranches. Many of them were empty, naturally because the dwellers were at their work or hunting. The large hut had its doors closed, and for this reason we could not see into the interior, but we could perceive that therein were fires and people, and listening we could hear the voices of the women and children. As it appeared to me that the best means of obtaining breathable air would be to remain in camp out on the terrace in the open, I asked the cacique to send for some firewood and arrange me a good fire. I was promptly satisfied in my request, and while the men were busy at this, I observed that one of them had a steel axe. I then surmised that this group was friendly with those of Campos Novas da Serra do Norte to whom we had already given many of these implements. We were preparing to hang our clothes to dry before the heat of the brisk fire, when we saw towards the north some ten Indians arriving, armed with their bows and arrows. They were probably returning from some hunting expedition. As soon as we caught sight of them, the Cacique addressed them with some sharp words, and in an energetic tone they immediately disappearing from our sight. A few moments afterwards they reappeared at another point, now unarmed. So they entered the village, and directing themselves towards the group in which we were, commenced to exchange conversation with Nukela and his people. It was evident that they were asking and obtaining information as to who we were, whence we had come, and how we had arrived there. We afterwards learnt that these ten individuals came from a village of Tegananis, established in the same camps and not very far off from the one where we were and that besides this one there were several others thereabouts belonging to the taoites minis and takiovites tribes the kakik nukala had sent emissaries to the inhabitants of those villages for the purpose of advising them of the great event For this reason, fresh groups of Indians were incessantly coming in, full of curiosity to see us. The women and the children went immediately to the conical hut and shut themselves in there together with those who had preceded them. The men, however, came close to our fire and sat in small groups around other fires which they lit. This movement, which commenced at the fall of day, continued into the night. The small fires went on, multiplying themselves incessantly, and the same time the number of men also who did not tire of talking, and went on conversing eagerly. And in the middle of all this animation they did not forget for one moment to heap upon us new presents, the trays made out of taboca, full of cakes, caras, maniocs, potatoes, and roasted corn, went on circulating in an endless procession. What most impressed us, however, was the quantity of cigarettes being smoked. Had the village been set on fire, the column of smoke which would rise from the burning huts would perhaps not be greater than that which was formed out of the combination of puffs which incessantly were expelled from the mouths of those indefatigable smokers at last i was already getting tired of talking so much and of paying so much attention in order to guess the meaning of the discourses which i could not understand my cousin bellarmino was already sleeping for some time placidly stretched out on a bed of coconut palm leaves with which we had lined the ground which we occupied the desire came to me of imitating his example and i decided to do so notwithstanding the objections of my uncle who found it a double imprudence to go to sleep after having placed ourselves in the midst of such a multitude of unknown indians whose habits and even their language we ignored close to me many indians sat in order to give them a further proof of confidence i stretched myself out on my bed of leaves resting my head on the knee of one of them i did not err in doing this for the fellow was so content at having been chosen for this sign of affection and of abandonment that he took the greatest care to avoid the slightest movement that might be taken as a sign of uneasiness or of fatigue notwithstanding the sharp odour from the indian's body painted with orucum i succeeded in falling asleep but it was a short slumber I awoke, and it seemed to me that the number of persons assembled on the terrace had received a great reinforcement. Certainly there were no less than two hundred in number. Furthermore, I could hear the sounds of female voices. I perceived that the women had left the large closed hut, and given to curiosity, had approached to see us. This curiosity seemed to me to be fully justified, so much so that I also arose and went towards the fire to light a torch made out of palm-leaves in order to obtain sufficient light to be able to properly distinguish them. This occasioned a great flurry. From all sides came exclamations of fright, and the Indian women began to run off in the direction of their refuge. While they ran, the men laughed heartily at seeing them, so terrified. I gave up my project and returned to my bed where I found the Indian, on whose knees I had been reclining my head, occupying his post of honor. I again went off to sleep and did not awake until daybreak. My uncle, a true representative of the old prejudice of our people with regard to the Indians, kept awake during that whole night. The Indians likewise passed the night awake. They, however, had another reason for so doing, and this could well be surmised at hearing as one could on all sides in the midst of their endless conversations the word coco, which recalls the sound produced by the blunt stone axes striking the trunk of a great tree the satisfaction which they felt in hoping to be able to possess before long the splendid steel-axes was so intense that it made them sleepless at daybreak we were already prepared to leave when the indians invited us to visit some other villages on those camps to which they had given the name of ukulitendei and which i called fourteen de abril in memory of the date cherished among the most dear to my heart of a thankful husband forced to live more on saudades than on the perennial enjoyment of the affection with which my good destiny has filled my most loving home having gone over the camps and visited four other villages whose population on the whole we reckoned at more than three hundred we returned to our camp where we found our companions already alarmed at our unforeseen absence Thirty-four Indians accompanied us, amongst whom there were five from Encantro Feliz, who had come to fetch their arms, which, as we saw, had been left on the side of the trail, inside the woods. To all of them I gave axes, machetes, and trinkets. End of section 15